welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Sunday Deep Dive Show with Brad Freeman. We're talking Danaher Corporation today. It is a company that, one, is a 100-bagger. So 300-bagger. 300-bagger. Close. Or close to a 300-bagger if Ryan's got the stats right. So it's one that no one, I don't want to say no one, a lot of people haven't heard of, but it's one of the best-performing stocks of all time. We're going to try to identify why that was the case what made them special. But before we do, Brad, how are you doing? I know that it's a tough loss <laughs> with Michigan not making it to the final four. Uh, are you recovered? <laughs> uh, no comment there, but uh, excited to be on the show talking about Danaher. So let's leave it there. No comment. All right. I, I think I think we understand now. Oh, the, uh, sales pitch. Oh, new sales, sales pitch. Yeah, yeah. This is a big one today, too. Um, Who's you your favorite it? wreck? Favorite wreck? They just came out today. I mean, uh, the uh, team, today. the team one. Uh, if I remember correctly, they're team oh. one. Yeah, but Double I like I like to I like basically all of them. I mean, Simon's is interesting too. I can't wait to read about that. It's a company I don't necessarily understand, but the way he'll explain it, I think I'll be able to understand whether I choose to invest or not. That's up to me. But you want to uh, keep, keep beating around the bush on what the company does? <laughs> the, I uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'll, okay. I'll leave it at that. But I mean, but if you want to check it out, it's just code new. CCM for ten dollars off. Yes, code CCM month. for ten dollars off. It starts with only seven bucks for your first month. Then, and they just had their picks. If we kind of beat around the bush, there on April first, seven new picks. They're crushing it. I like Dan Klein's pick the best. Yeah, I'll say it. Yeah, and they said that it was before. They like to say it was a retail pick, and I can't say I was not surprised that Dan had a retail company. <laughs> he is the retail expert. He is. But let's get to Dan and her. Uh, so I'll talk about what they do. Uh, so it's probably the biggest company that you never heard of if you haven't heard of them. But like Brad and I both had not heard of them, and they are what hundred seventy billion dollar market cap. EV, yeah. Enterprise value, okay. And uh, so there are global science and technology manufacturers. So basically, they design and manufacture equipment for through. I think it's twenty different operating companies, maybe twenty one now. Um, but it's basically for the life sciences, diagnostics, environmental, and applied sectors. Uh, those are sort of how they've broken down the revenue. And so basically, the what I say is just think lab equipment. So testing equipment, uh, microscopes, that kind of thing, really specialized equipment. That's where they've basically built this entire $170 billion company on. Um, and they sell it on a recurring basis through a direct sales model. So sort of an old fashioned style business, but they've just done done everything really, really well. And so in the last 30 years, I think it's a 277 bagger. Um, so it, there are definitely lessons to be learned here. I'll get into the history though. The company actually started as a REIT, uh, but after a fishing trip up to Western Montana, the founders, Stephen and Rachel, Stephen and Mitchell Rails envisioned a new kind of ever improving manufacturing company and they named it Danaher. That's after a river in Montana too. So yeah. for our Montana listeners, you probably knew that, but <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> 
I always love the Inception stories, how they come up with these things. We were fly fishing. It was a gorgeous day. We saw a bear. It was just Kaizen. We were ever improving. <laughs> but anyway, that's one of their big things. They've tried to adopt Kaizen, which if, you're not sh- know, if you don't know what that is, it's the Japanese business philosophy of continuous improvement. Um, but they switched to Danaher. They switched the company name to Danaher in 1984. And they started out as a group of more traditional manufacturing businesses. But since they pivoted to the sectors that we just talked about above. And after they IPO'd in, I think, the 80s, it wasn't yeah, very 80s, clear. 80s is correct, I think. Yeah, I and saw a chart. They, uh, but they've also, in addition to a bunch of acquisitions that they made, they've also done a lot of spinoffs. So there was a big spinoff with a group of companies, I think, five years ago. Yes. Um, blanking on the name of so what it was. they basically took so they had a bunch of traditional manufacturing businesses uh, where they're not manufacturing but it's I believe parts to manufacturing stuff you know kind of like what they're doing for life sciences but for manufacturing companies they split that off uh, that's a separate company I don't know if it's public or if it's a private company but now they're focused more on life sciences diagnostics medical and then they got the smaller one which is water treatment correct Yes. Yes. They do have that. I mean, there's, I think they're, they have a list of all the companies in there. I think there's multiple water treatment companies, I thought. But it's just one of their segments. Yeah. Right. Uh, you want to hit industry? Yeah. So this one's tough, uh, but I'll try to hit some vague points. I guess just some anecdotal evidence. You might think, oh, is the this market really that big? I mean, there's so much money that gets put into even research on this stuff. I remember I used to work at a lab and it wasn't even a big lab and they got $10 million a year from the Department of Energy. And you know what, they're probably spending it on Dan and her equipment more or less. Uh, but they say in their 10K that although the company's businesses generally operate in highly competitive markets, the company's competitive position cannot be determined accurately in the aggregate or by segment since none of its competitors offer all of the same product and service lines or serve all of the markets as the company. Now, that's legal speak, but basically there's too many competitors to kind of name. Um, I guess some other ones could that are adjacent could be like Thermo Fisher, Beckton and Dickinson and Stryker are all large companies. Um, the life sciences market, it's hard to pin down again, any exact numbers. I try to look up and there was a big range of numbers, but it looks like it's at least a $500 billion global spend on the life sciences market. So a huge market there it could be as large as 1 trillion and it's a rapidly growing industry. Diagnostics market is a lot smaller, but still large. I think it was in the tens of billions, at least, if not larger. And Larger large, this year. Larger this year, for sure. Although I don't know what those COVID categories, I don't know if it's only, if it's life sciences or diagnostics both. or a little bit of both. And then water treatment's smaller. It's $25 billion, but also growing rapidly as well. Um, that kicks. That's all for industry. Brad, do you want to talk management? Sure. Uh, the real the Rails brothers who founded the company, they are actually still both involved uh, with the company today. So Stephen Rails, who was the former CEO, uh, he still serves as the uh, board chairman. And then Mitchell Rails, who was the former president, still serves as the executive committee chairman. So I love to see that decades later, they are still um, around and contributing to the company. Today, the president and CEO is Rainer Blair. He's been with the company since um, 2010. And he's been an executive vice president since 2014, before he was named a CEO in 2020. Um, he's been the CEO of a company called MapEye Americas, which is a construction chemical corporation. If I mispronounce that, I, I apologize. Um, and he was a U.S. Army veteran. So um, that's cool, too. <laughs> uh, executive VP 
is Jennifer Honeycutt. She's been with the company since 1999. Um, she's been with Dana Hurst since they purchased a company called Hatch where she was working. The Another executive VP and CFO, Matt McGrew, has been with the company since 24. He was a director at KPMG before joining. So, so the theme and the trend of um, executives being with the company for a very long time is, is always a positive, and that's definitely a, a strong pattern here. Um, General Counsel um, Joaquin Weidmanis, and if I mispronounce your name, I am so sorry, sir. Uh, but so he previously held the, the exact same role with Medtronic, a very well-known company, and previously Chief Compliance Officer at GE Healthcare. So um, very relevant, uh, big-time experience there. And then finally, Chief Scientific Officer Jose Carlos Gutierrez-Ramos, uh, was the former global head of drug discovery at AbbVie. He's been a senior VP of biotherapeutics and of R and of biotherapeutics R&D at Pfizer, and he's been a senior VP at GlaxoSmithKline too. So really impressive resume there. Um, in terms of ownership, 11.25% of the float is held by insiders. They've been net buyers over the last six months, um, pretty close, but overall net buyers. 81% uh, of the floats currently held by institutions. Uh, nothing super unique or interesting there. You have Vanguard and BlackRock at the top, so uh, normal stuff. Yeah, shocked Vanguard and BlackRock. But uh, <laughs> the do the founders still have a big stake? Did you see that at all? Or uh, I actually did not look. Um, I, I just know that 11.25% of the float is held by insiders. It's interesting okay. that they're net buyers because that kind of that's a tell. I mean, something we'll get into is they are seeing a big benefit from what's going on right now. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of a tell that they think their role in that universe is a little more sustainable or longer term than maybe some people think. Yeah. And uh, I guess we'll get into it as well, but they've been, they have been growing at about five to 6% ex acquisitions and at some sort of conference, I believe the CEO, he was beating around the bush a little bit, but he was saying that they would maybe be growing more in the eight to 9% range, which is a huge difference, but we'll talk about that in the second half. Um, I'll get into the valuation, going to use a market cap of $159 billion here, ticker is DHR, but for this company, enterprise value is pretty relevant because of the amount of debt on their balance sheet. So their enterprise value is about $178.5 billion. Their EV to operating cash flow is 29. So around market multiple, I, it's hard to tell. I've kind of had it in my head that the market's trading at like 30 to 35, but that might've changed depending on you know volatility or whatever. And then EV to free cash flow is about 33. Although you probably should include acquisitions here since they are a serial acquire under CapEx. And you can also include selling businesses. So honestly, if you X out, there's the big acquisition, the $20 billion one that they just did. But if you X out that, they, I think the selling of businesses actually minimized all their CapEx, but whatever, you look at that yourself on the uh, cash flow statement. Dividend yield right now is about 0.4% according to Coifin. So they do pay a dividend, but not really that relevant. And cash flow generally has been higher than gap earnings due to steady flow of non-cash charges. Great advantage on the tax front there, but I'll let Ryan go into earnings. Yeah. So uh, I, it, they they throw a lot of numbers out there in their earnings because they have so many different operating businesses. What I say is kind of just read it like Altria's income statement um, because the metric that's most relevant uh, is essentially the uh, 
adjusted diluted net earnings per share. Um, and so this number actually grew by 43% year over year. They saw a big boost this year, like I said, because of what's going on. They had $22.3 billion in revenue, up 25% year over year. They have about 56% gross margins, which is, I mean, that was flat versus the prior year, but that's really high when you look at it compared to most manufacturers. I think gross yeah. margins for a typical, obviously it's different. Auto business are probably in the teens. Yeah. So, well, that's an O. It's, yeah. it's an OEM, but yeah. Um, and then they had 16% net margins, uh, 28% operating cash flow margins. So 6.2 billion in operating cash flow for the year. Diluted share count dropped about 1% and the current dividend yield is 0.4%. Um, it, it doesn't move as much because of all that institutional ownership. It certainly doesn't move as much as most of the market. Right I, yeah. I think the, one of the biggest downsides of owning this thing is you got to know, just don't get, don't get bored. Um, yeah. that, I think that can be a problem, especially for younger investors like us. And then one note is that that revenue growth, some of it's inorganic, correct? There's a few billion in there. Yeah. Um, I'm, blanking on the exact number, but uh, that included the acquisition of uh, Sativa. Yeah, or G, <laughs> what is it? Sativa always makes me laugh because of the uh, the <laughs> cannabis reference, but that was GE's, uh, GE's life science division. I think we'll get into that in future growth opportunities, but Brad, do you want to talk balance sheet before we get to the ad break? Yeah, that's a good segue. So as of right now, they have 4.36 billion in cash on hand versus 20 billion in your rear. So as was just mentioned, they did make that large uh, M&A decision. So that is why it took the hit. Uh, they, they have $22.7 billion in long-term debt. Uh, it, it's not, I mean, it's not nothing, but keep in mind, uh, as, as Ryan and Brett just went over, they, they do have very strong cash flows. So it's not, and they have very reliable cash flows too. So it's not the biggest concern, um, even though their balance sheet isn't perfect. It, it's it's definitely, it's, it's definitely not a weakness or a, or a preventer of future growth, I don't think. Um, they do have 33 billion in goodwill uh, versus 22 billion year over year. And again, this is a company with a very long track record of effective and accretive M&A. So it's really not overly concerning, but just something to highlight again and something to keep an eye on. Yeah, that long-term debt, if I, if I saw it right, is it seemed like a flex, like look at what we can borrow at because yeah. the rates were so low extending out so far. Yeah, and I mean, there was no really concern or go ahead. Sorry, I, I should have mentioned that. Um, so their, their long-term or their rates on, on all this debt that they're raising, as Ryan was saying, 0.2% to 4.3%. So, so they are really, uh, they have a lot of flexibility with creditors um, and that did not change from the pandemic at all. Yeah, and then I think one thing to look at, they like to do an EBITDA thing, uh, not the not an EBITDA thing, an EBITDA ratio, debt to EBITDA ratio. Uh, but if you look at the operating cash flow over 6 billion, compare that to the debt, it's not, I mean, they could pay that back in a few years and the lifetime of that debt at that low interest rate. I mean, it's not a concern at all. And you're kind of happy, I think as a shareholder, if you believe in that GE acquisition, um, that can be value created. But you guys have anything else before you get to that break? Okay, we're gonna, Hit a break, and then we'll get back for the second half of the show. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one, so you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? 
<sighs> All blocked thanks to advanced security included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Next up is competitive advantages, uh, but we're kind of... Ryan wants to give out a number um, just yeah. to kind of give you some context on how good or how trustworthy they are to, to creditors. Yeah. And so on that first half, we mentioned that it was kind of a flex. They've got uh, one senior one senior note here at 1.8% and the note is due in 2049. So if that doesn't give you an idea of how much people are willing to lend to them, uh, I don't know what would. Whenever I see a 2049 loan, I mean, I've seen like, I've seen a 2060 and that's just, what is, that's so long. (laughs) That's it. Although, I mean, listen, if if they had like, if they've got, uh, higher rate, shorter debt, and they're able to borrow and pay down. If they're able to borrow at 1.8% for 30 years and then and pay, bo- off, pay that, off the, the short-term stuff. debt, yeah, that's oh, awesome. That's, yeah, it's, I mean, that's a smart move. Really credit to this, um, the finance department there. I mean, there's nothing to <laughs> complain about, but well, let's talk competitive advantages. Uh, Brad, why don't you kick things off? And another perfect segue. So, the scale that they have and, and the relationships that they have with, with debt issuers, um, I, I think of that as a competitive advantage just because there are so many of these young med tech and, and life sciences companies. I have some in my own portfolio that are very, very cool and, and don't make any money. And some of them are going to be able to exist on their own and succeed. And some of them are going to need a big boy like this to step in and, and provide the capital to grow in, in, in terms of buying them out or, or requiring them. Um, so I think with, while the balance sheet, it's, it's not perfect. Um, it is pretty darn strong. And, and like Ryan was saying that the debt does kind of seem like a flex because they are able to issue it with such favorable terms. Um, so I think that that combination of, of, of the track record of a very effective M and a and the balance sheet and credit they have access to it is a really solid competitive advantage. Yeah. All right, Ryan. Yeah, so I guess you guys kind of hit the two big ones, which is sort of size and the one thing they tout more than anything else, which Brett will get into. Um, but I, I would say trust uh, primarily with their customers. So they have, I mean, they've been doing this for so long that they have these long running sort of established relationships with both labs and then government funded entities because a lot of these, I mean. You got you to gotta get this stuff has to be reliable. Right. And so uh, the exit. Yeah. And if you're a lab and you're on like a tight budget, I don't think you're going to take a chance on some new equipment provider because you don't want uh, to have to repay and not have the money to do it. So uh, I think having those existing relationships is kind of, I I wouldn't say moat, but it's a bit of an advantage for them. Yeah. It might be a, not be a yeah, moat, but it's, it's nice. Um, I'll hit mine. It's the process, the, some of their, you know, you might not look at their subsidiaries and say like, all right, these guys have like IP patents or exclusive deals or anything, but the key to their success has really been the Danaher business. Is it called success system system? Thank you, Ryan or Kaizen is expired by Toyota and some of the Japanese stuff from the eighties that really inspired a lot of management teams. Um, If we look at something that's a little biased, it's from an old worker or executive at Danaher, uh, on Quora said that it was just basically hyping up the company's process like no other. He said that their belief in continuous improvement is really sets them apart. They seek out top talent, which whatever, that's a cliche, but maybe they're really, really actually good at that. Um, 
like he said, I met a few people that were like C and D players there, but overall, like you're really they're ability to retain top talent is insane. And then their ability to actually set a strategy and then execute it over a long period of time. They seems like they have that. It's not necessarily like, all right, we're going to change the world, but we, they know what they're good at. They're going to stick to it. And it's a process they can repeat over and over and over. And if you're looking at the 10 K and you see, I mean, they talk about this Danaher business system all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so at first I thought it was some software that they put all their operating system or operating <laughs> companies on, but it's not. It's basically just this ethics board of like what we strive to do. Yeah. And it has worked to their, I mean, to their testament, it's worked really well. Um, and I, I remember the guy, one of the guys that sort of pioneered this DBS or uh, Her business system said it's having the efficiencies across multiple departments, not just on the manufacturing side, has really helped them create better profitability than other manufacturers. Yeah. All right, future growth opportunities. Brad, what do you have? Uh, so the diagnostics segment of the business might might face some some headwinds on the reopening, but that dental, uh, that dental operation they have might actually get a large boost. Uh, I think of like dental operations as, as pretty, uh, pretty predominantly elective. So uh, the shutdowns, lockdowns probably paused a lot of that. And I'm thinking there's a backlog like we're seeing in, in a lot of other places that, that were uh, temporarily shut down. So as, as normalization occurs or if normalization occurs, um, I, I think that could, that could get a boost. You know, it's nice is that the stuff, part of their business got a total boost, um, which I think, yeah, Ryan, you're going to talk about, but they got, they can balance that out where, you know, the reopening stuff, uh, I don't know. It seems like they're kind of bulletproof, even though they're, they're really in only two industries. It seems like within it, um, it's kind of a bulletproof model, even though you would think that yeah. there could be some cyclicality due to COVID. But Ryan, what do you have? I guess COVID variants is a future growth opportunity for them. So the more variants there are, the more people need Danaher's equipment. I know that's kind of a backhanded future growth opportunity, but, uh, I, testing isn't done once the vaccines are deployed. Uh, people are, they're still going to have to test for variants. Labs are going to need it. I think COVID testing is still going to go on. And so uh, with all these different variations, their equipment's needed. Um, and I think with executives being net buyers, it, they are showing that this isn't done with. It doesn't just stop after 2021. This isn't just a temporary boost. This equipment is going to be needed for the next, I don't know, decade or so. Like, yeah. Or go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. Feel free. Okay. Well, it seems like with the pandemic, you know, you, you might think, all right, one-time boost, and then it's going to stop off. This might've inspired a lot of these labs and governments and stuff like that to keep the ball rolling and try to get prepared for the next one. So they're going to be wanting to use either, either if it's, um, some of Danaher's products that go more into research, they're going to be wanting, there might be more funding for that and just keeping up testing and hygiene and all that stuff that there might be a sustained demand. Yeah, exactly. And if anyone has insight into that sales pipeline, it's them. That's true. Yeah. The, the, I, I would not argue with that. All right. I'll hit mine. Acquisition of GE Life Sciences Division. They're now calling this Sativa. It's not, it's not the uh, cannabis plant, but uh, it's C-Y-T-I-V-A. If you're looking for how they say it on the conference call, 
Um, on the conference call after the acquisition, they said this doubles the revenue in the biopharma market to over $5 billion annually. So I think it's now going to be their largest business segment and it makes up over 50% of their life science division. Uh, I think there's a clear path to growth over this over the next decade. That's probably one of, now it's a super tough industry to identify winners and losers. Biotech is for a lot of investors, a black hole, or not a black hole, black box, but there's going to be the need for all these tools. Danher is the leader in that. I think that's a very smart move. Seems like a shrewd acquisition. They did this in March. Uh, basically said, GE, you're struggling. Let's take this off your hands. We're going to use this asset a lot better. I think that's a testament to the management's um, strategy. I don't know. You guys have any thoughts on the acquisition? I know it's the big one here. I like that it's coming from GE because GE always seems to be in this rush to liquidate things. So I feel like they probably got a good price. No, but that's really only, I mean, I, I didn't look into it enough. Um, I think the name's kind of funny, but that's about it. All right, Brad, anything? And then if not, just hit up your highlights and lowlights. No, I'll go to highlights and lowlights. Uh, highlight would be institutional ownership is sky high. So Brad did make a, a good point that that can make the stock a little boring, but boring is sometimes good. Um, and, and over 80% institutional ownership is certainly noteworthy. Um, for lowlights, it is, it, it's hard to find a, a real red flag or weakness yeah. with this company. Um, but, but I guess if I'm, if I'm really picking at it, the 33 billion in goodwill, it's not, it's, it, it's a pretty large number. And again, they, they've, they've got so much proof of, of effectively purchasing companies and bolting them onto their company into their own organization in a profitable way. So I am, I, I am really, uh, I'm really searching for things here. Yeah, if anything, it's going to come down to size and, and valuation, which we'll talk about at the end. But Ryan? Yeah, highlights, they, management says all the right things. You know, their focus is return on invested capital. They try to compete for shareholders. They really talk about that a lot. Low lights for, and yes, very stable. Doesn't seem like it's going to get disrupted. Environmental issues, the focus on that could be a big tailwind here over True, the next decade. Good, yep, yep. Um, but my low lights is it feels like this is a business this is like a business school case study from the past. Yeah. Like it yeah. doesn't feel like something I'd want to own now. You want yeah. to own the Danaher of the, the next yeah. Danaher. And the other part is I kind of, I feel like employees or like operating businesses when they get bought out and like the like HR departments are pushing this Danaher business system stuff. I'd get so fed up with it. Like, that's not Kaizen. That doesn't fit our principles. Like, yeah, sometimes the cults, it feels a little culty, but usually cults, I don't know. Berkshire Hathaway, you could describe that as cold, kind of. So. <laughs> yeah, but it's not, I don't know. It's like not stated. It's like this unwritten code where you're like, just act in a. No, nah, that's true. In you know, act with integrity. But it, it, you know, you never know. It could, it could be, they might not put it in your face. It might just be something that you kind of learn while you're there, but. Just investors' faces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I'll hit mine. I mean, I do, like you guys said, management and culture, you know, like Toyota or Berkshire Hathaway, it's like one of those few companies that differentiated themselves through culture who weren't really like Toyota wasn't in a good business, but they used that manufacturing strategy and just process that just made them win the market or be the leader in the market. Um, I think that's why investors are likely confident they can take better care of that GE asset. An example from the conference call that I thought was super impressive, uh, and this is a quote, our free cash flow to net income conversion was 149% for the full year and marks the 29th consecutive year. This figure has exceeded 100% for Danaher. 
I think, I mean, that's, that's just, that's amazing. That's an amazing stat right there. Um, Lowlights, you know, I understand winners keep on winning. This has been a fantastic investment for anyone that's held on to it for 20 or 30 years, but size is a concern. Management is awesome. Culture is great, but that's something that can erode quickly. If you get a bad, you know, the founders aren't there anymore. It's kind of like maybe some of the worries people have with Amazon. Yeah, has the culture been embedded? Probably. But, you know, we saw that happen with GE. We saw that happen with Coca-Cola. We saw that happen with even McDonald's and and definitely IBM too. This is the Buffett uh, buy a business that could be run by an idiot because eventually one will. Like this could be if the DBS is integrated into the workflow of the day-to-day of all employees, then I guess it's a who cares about management, but capital allocation matters. (laughs) Yeah, true. All right, Brad, anything else? And then we'll hit more or less interested to wrap things up. Uh, that's all I got. So I will go with, or I'll, I'll go to more or less interested, um, a little bit of a two part answer here for me specifically, um, probably less interested just because of some of the low lights we hit on. It does seem like this would be, uh, a case study of, of how to run a business effectively for a few decades. But now that that's happened and now that we're um, talking about that and, and dropping our jaws at that, uh, because we're so impressed, I, I don't see, um, that explosive upside in, in future decades. But I mean, if, if my dad asked me, what, what stock should I invest in? I, I want a very safe asset and something that um, I, I can sleep really well at night knowing I own. This is absolutely something that I would consider yeah. telling you oh, about. For sure. Yeah, because you, if you're listening, we're all under the age of 30. So this goes in the retirement portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> And I can, I mean, there's some companies we look at, I won't say any names that we think could have the potential to be a, a, another Danaher. But the thing that concerns, you know, the big difference is these companies trade at market caps less than 5 billion. Danaher is almost 200 billion. It's a huge difference. So, Ryan? I am so much less interested, to be honest. It just, uh, it, it is a really, it's a really sound business, but it is of no interest to me primarily because of the size. Like it just feels, it could outperform and it it would not be an error of omission. It would be an error of like, I didn't care enough. And I don't even, you know, it just feels boring to own. I don't know. It's just not that exciting to me. Um, well, but, we said, I said boring earlier. I really, boring shouldn't. No. Simon shouldn't come into your investment thesis. It honestly can help. But I get your point. I understand. It, point. Yeah, it just, uh, feels like a very successful company of the past. And it's literally like, you can't argue that there's more growth ahead than behind them. Like that's impossible. So yeah, unless they're going to, yeah, unless they're going to get all of GDP, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the, oh, what was I going to say? No, I just forgot. It, it. Yeah. I will say this, this show will probably have less listens than most. It shouldn't. Shows. It shouldn't. Oh, yeah. it, it, our most listened to show is Palantir. I think people can learn a lot more from this show on how to identify a future good business. Oh, I was going to say that, okay, the val- look, valuation is still premium here. We're still at 30 yeah, times free cash or 30 plus times free cash flow for a large company. Kind of like, yeah, I guess I'm not less interested in this specifically. I'm interested in businesses like this where they have some sort of differentiated culture with a long-term time horizon. But if you read Chris Mayer's 100 Beggars, the key to 100 Beggar is 
one long runway for growth where you can grow your business at an above market rate, say like 12%. Two, small. Yeah. And small three, cap, like small, small cap, company, right? yeah, small cap stock. And three, multiple expansion. Now, Dan Hur had all of these, but they can't like, you know. It, it, it will not ba- be a hundred bagger from here. <laughs> yeah. So this is like one of those where you look at it, you're like, all right, is this, it'd be hard to lose money. <laughs> yeah. And maybe, and you know, it's a, they're going after some giant markets. So, may, you know, I, I would not be surprised if they're a market outperformer. I mean, the sure, multiple is not crazy good either. It's not like a cheap, it's not no, screaming it's not. multiple. No. And, you know, I, I don't know. It seems like they have the, some clear advantages, but yeah, it's just kind of like you throw it's your hands not sexy. up. Yeah, it's not sexy. I mean, I think, again, use Danaher as an example of what to look at for for smaller companies. Yeah. yeah. All right. Which tailors into my next pick. Oh, Brad, what are you saying? Yeah. I, I should have raised my hand. My bad. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, we're still we're we're still learning. <laughs> no, no. I, I but I mean, yeah. There, there's so many things that this this company just did flawlessly over, over the last few decades, and it, it is it is really informative. I think, um, and it's cool that it's cool that we're doing this company because I think it's valuable to listeners in a completely different way than than what is normally presented. Um, or no no one on here is saying go out and buy the stock. We're just saying wow, they 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 already delivered and, and here's how they did it kind of. Yeah. Apply it. the lessons of this investment to future investments. Yeah. Which the stock for next week, uh, pick between two. So I'll let you guys vote it out. What if we vote? <laughs> uh, then I'll be the deal breaker. Olo, okay. which is the mobile ordering platform. Brad's, uh, Brad, you have a starter position. That. I think I do. I do. Kind of in hot water, I guess, uh, this last week. Some controversial news came out, but uh, I'll leave that. That's all right. Well, we knew DoorDash was waiting for the IPO. (laughs) What a coincidence. Or Coursera. Coursera. They just IPO'd, and they're uh, like online learning for colleges, I think. Uh, I'll go Olo. I'm pretty fascinated by so. Yeah, uh, I love you some Olo. Let's do that one. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, you you won't have to do as much research for this show. So, <laughs> and uh, the controversy is three years old, just so everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, it was just reading the headlines. Yeah, so it seems like Financial Times like went for search engine optimization and 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 really it, it, it was it was very much their resurface. But I won't we won't spoil anything. There's, there's a lot of good stuff to discuss next week. Perfect. All right, perfect. Sounds good. Yep, that's gonna do it for this episode. As always. Use 7investing, sign up, get code CCM at checkout, $10 off. New picks are out. Uh, Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital may hold securities discussed on this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. 